This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. My voice is always weak. My allergies are affecting me greatly. I, I love the smell of fresh cut grass. My allergies and my sinuses detest the smell of fresh cut grass. So hopefully y'all can hear me in the back. I've had a message on my heart for quite some time. Very happy to share that with you this morning. Something that um, I think is very pertinent to us today, even though uh, these things were uh, given to a generation long time ago. I think the parables of the Bible speak loudly or are relevant today as they were over 2,000 years ago. I want to look at the 99 and the 1 this morning. That's a very, very deep subject. You know, in the two different versions of that parable, uh, there's some controversy, some discussion over whether this parable in Luke's version and Matthew's version were actually spoken at the exact same time and two different accounts of that. Uh, some believe that it was spoken differently. Some believe it was two different accounts of the same. What I want to do is not bring that up for discussion so much. You can study that and figure that out uh, for yourself. But I do want to look at both accounts uh, from Luke and from Matthew. So we're going to start with Luke 15. We're going to preface that just a little bit. From the, the two accounts, and I'm going to be using the, the King James in this translation and a few others, uh, the translations are a little closely more related to taking the Greek words, translating those into an English word. Some other translations, which, which I use and I know a lot of you do as well, uh, a little bit more of a broader brushstroke so that we can see in our own language how we talk, what the overall big picture looks like. But... This morning I want to look at the King James Version and we want to preface that by uh, painting a picture. There are several groups of individuals who when the Christ our Lord and Savior was on this earth and when he would bring a message, wherever he went they were his constant antagonist and the scribes and Pharisees were in those groups. These individuals took it upon themselves out of their own piety uh, to try to trip him up every chance they got. And they always had something to complain about Jesus and how he approached what he was doing, who he was doing it for, and the manner in which he did it. And scribes and Pharisees were a very pious group of individuals that uh, they took the letter to the law. They were legalists to an extreme extent. Even so much so, they... They sometimes added things to that as a, 
means of describing what God's word was all about, they added restrictions that God himself did not. And these were people who put a great yoke on the children of Israel. And as they were in this group listening to the Lord, they witnessed something they didn't like. They didn't like it at all. As they pictured themselves up here, and there were people in this group that were listening to the Lord, they didn't feel was worthy of being in their presence. They couldn't understand why Jesus was not only having them gather around and allowing them to be in his presence, but he had the audacity uh, to eat and break bread with them. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans, or tax collectors, and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and he eats with them. He spake this parable unto them. Now, we're going to notice some various differences, very slight in nature from Matthew's account of where this parable is going to start and how it draws in the particular crowd that's listening. Remember what the scribes and the Pharisees that were murmuring, obviously not too quietly. And the Lord heard very much what was on their heart. He knew exactly what they were thinking. So he's pulling them into this, this parable in two different ways. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? He goes after those which are lost until he finds it. When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth to his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, over ninety-nine and just persons which need no repentance. Who's perfect and needs no repentance? Exactly. Very powerful statement being said here. Who's the audience that this is directed towards? Scribes and the Pharisees. Who in this group believes their self, they're so self-righteous, they believe their self not to be needing of repentance? So he's directing them in the very beginning, what man of you, he wants them to draw in to feel what it feels like in that shepherding position. And then he also wants them to feel like what it feels like to be the 99 that is judging all of the other individuals that are there. The ones that felt like they were outcast and the ones were being treated like they were outcast. It wasn't that the 99 that he was speaking to needed no repentance, but in their hearts they felt that way. In their hearts they had already judged everybody else that was there, found them guilty, and realized that they were so much better off than them. Now, this was the type of crowd that he was speaking to. Did they receive that well the way he intended? I don't know. I, I hope so. My heart of hearts, whenever I see Jesus speaking these parables, and I know the scribes and Pharisees are there, you know, part of me is rooting for, yeah, put them in their place. And the other part is, I'm seeing what Jesus is doing, and he's not just, you know, speak to the hand and shuts them off. He speaks through parables, trying to draw them in because their hearts and their souls are just as important to him as the ones that they were previously judging that they were not going to celebrate for because they too had entered into 
This is an extremely powerful parable. He speaks not one, not two, but three different parables. Each one centered and focused on getting to the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. It was also imperative to the others that were there listening to. It's all about value and valuing each other more than yourself. That's something that would have been uh, completely foreign to the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks another parable. He talks about lost coins. You had ten coins in your house. You dropped one and lost it. It has value to you. Wouldn't you light a candle and sweep out the whole house looking for it? Of course you would. Do the tax collectors and the sinners, do they have value to the scribes and the Pharisees? Apparently not, but Jesus is sure trying to get a point across to them that these are your brothers and sisters in the house of Israel. Remember this on this side of the cross, still under the Old Testament, still under the old law, that they are judging them so bitterly. They don't really want them to have and take part of what they are a part of. They want them to be separated, to continue to look down their nose at them. Would they celebrate if they had been lost and found? I don't know. The Lord doesn't stop there. He continues on. He continues on with another parable about value, about that which was lost and its value as it has been found and returned. He talks about the lost son, what we call the uh, prodigal son. This one should hit home with everybody that's a parent. This one hits very deeply. And he also focuses on something else. Something's added to this parable to give the scribes and the Pharisees something to contemplate from this position they have taken about judging all these other people deemed unworthy of even being there. And that's the sibling, the jealous sibling. What does he say? This son who was given his inheritance. He went out and had riotous living. He blew everything that he had. He was at the very rock bottom. He was broken as broken can be. And when he realized in his own heart and found repentance for what he had done, he wanted to return home to the Father. And so doing, he pictured himself only being a servant to his father and his household. But that's not what happened. His father was so excited, he ran out to meet him. And he greeted him, and he kissed him, and he hugged him. He welcomed him in rejoicing. He wanted to have a great celebration. He put a robe on him, put a ring on his hand, he put sandals on his feet. What about the jealous brother? Who's the jealous brother representing? Those scribes and those Pharisees. What did they think about the publicans? And those sinners of lowly class. Here Jesus is wanting to receive everyone there and bring them to the table. But they don't think that these people are worth it. How could you dare to do that? Now we, we followed God's laws and commandments so strictly. Look at us, how pious we are. How could you dare to do that? Now they come in, they've been sinning. These are the lowest of the low. They cheat, they steal, they rob. And you're going to say that they can just come to the table just like we do? Jealousy, hatred, arrogance, all the traits of mankind, things that we sometimes feel ourselves. 
that these unworthy, outcast, outsiders don't have a place there, but they do. And just like the jealous sibling, they don't feel like celebrating. Quite the opposite. Instead of celebrating, they feel like, why, why would you do that? How could you even eat with these people? Why are you even associating? These are the very ones that gather around Jesus all the time. They always say, give me your brokenhearted. Give me your people that are outcasts because his message wasn't just for the upper class that felt like they were already righteous. His message for everyone. His message of value and worth and love and compassion. Not just to those who have been spending their whole life trying to follow the letter of the law, but to those who have accepted that message and invitation. Man, what a, what a powerful set of parables, which seemingly in this case, although directed towards the scribes and the Pharisees, is imperative to understand today. Now, let's, let's look at Matthew and realize from the very beginning of how this conversation starts, this one is kind of directed to a different group. And it's worded a little bit differently. It says, and at the same time, this is chapter 18 of Matthew. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now this isn't the only time that uh, the disciples or apostles have asked a question similar to that to Jesus. When you ask a question like that, who's the greatest, what does that mean for everybody else? Yeah. We want to be up here. We want our names up here. But then that means that everyone else is in a lower status than we are. Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a child up unto him. He said into, into the midst of them. And remember how we are described as the church in many ways in the New Testament described as, as children of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and his flock. All those things are imperative to keep in mind how Jesus looks at us as individuals and how he values every single individual, even those that feel very little self-worth. Barely I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall receive one such a little child in my name, receiveth me. Whosoever shall offend one of these, which believe in me, it was better for him that a milestone be hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must need, but the offenses come. But woe unto that man by whom the offenseth cometh. So he brings this child in. He wants to bring out several different points. Unless you be like that innocent little child, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And as we are all the children of God, if you offend one of these to push them away outside of that ark of safety, which I have put them in, it would be better for you if you just tied a giant stone around your neck with a chain and threw you into the ocean. Value. Value over the ones that feel they need it or the ones that feel they deserve at the very least. He places the same value over everybody. And his, his parables are such a poetic, beautiful statement 
of how he feels about his children. Um, They are a constant reminder that we have more self-worth than we believe we do. We may feel outcast or broken, but Jesus is placing such an emphasis on everyone about how they rejoice when any of these are lost and then found, have strayed and then returned. This parable that we're about to read about the lost sheep is geared in such a way towards uh, what the disciples had just asked and geared in such a way towards those who may have strayed from within the fold and then been brought back into celebration, the pure joy of being brought back into the fold and how we need to view that for each other. Verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. How thank you. Now this time he doesn't say, let's suppose you were a shepherd. He words it a little bit differently. Different group, different concept. How thank ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek the one which is gone astray? This time not using the word lost, but gone astray. If so be it that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more for that sheep than of the ninety-nine which were gone astray. Even so, is it not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish? Man, the, the depth of this parable viewed from both of these perspectives, from this side of the cross for, for you and for me, uh, it is imperative uh, to note how that touches our lives and how we interact with each other. All through the New Testament, there's two things that are an imperative. Commission to do to save those that are lost, but also highly encouraged to seek the value in each other. To esteem each other before yourself. To celebrate when your brother or sister who may have gone astray has then returned to the fold. If we view both of these versions of this parable as Jesus leaving anyone, and I think we possibly uh, miss the forest for the trees. What does it say in Hebrews? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is it about leaving anybody? No. It's about including everybody. Everybody is welcome to the table. Everybody is valued the same, whether you feel like you are or not. Whether you feel like you have as much to offer or not as somebody else. This parable is imperative in how we have a relationship with each other. It is such a beautiful and poetic uh, statement of His love for you and me. No matter what we feel like, His value for us is much greater. And He expects and demands that we feel that same way about each other. It's such a beautiful thing. I was driving to work most of us listen to Christian radio. And a song came on the radio. And man, it just, it just hit me because it had such powerful lyrics. Uh, I'm going to read the lyrics, or at least some of them. You, you probably all heard this song. It's by Matthew West. It's called Me On Your Mind. Because I've read the words and read, now you leave the 99. To find the one missing feels like that was written with me on your mind. And the prodigal son who ran 
leaving his home behind. The part where the father came running to meet him. Did you say that with me on your mind? Just knowing you're mindful of me, just knowing you call me your child, flooding my soul with unspeakable hope. Thank you, Lord, that it's me on your mind. I've read the words in red, how a heavenly home on high, you're preparing a place for the sorrows erased, for I stand before you, I will find all along, it was me on your mind. Man, that's, that's a powerful song. Some good lyrics reminds us how much he cares about us and how much he loves us. You know, if we continue with that thought process of the flock, and all throughout the New Testament, he refers to us as his sheep, as his flock. Uh, what did he say to Peter? He said to Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Yes, Lord, of course, I really love you. You feed my sheep. When we view ourselves in that position of being his flock, um, we can picture ourselves, whether we picture ourselves as um, before we were saved, the lost sheep, what it felt like to be found. We picture ourselves as the sheep that may have gone astray and then came back to the flock. There's, there's another perspective that we can picture ourselves sometimes and sometimes even the strongest all get to a point in their life when they feel broken. Uh, when the cares of the life become so much pressure that we feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders, there's a position that we can feel like we are in where we know, we know in our heart of hearts we're a part of that flock just as much as anyone else, but things have weighted us down so bad that that flock in the field, we feel like we're weighted so heavy that we're stuck in one position. And we see the flock slowly moving on. It's not that we want to be separated from them. It's not that we feel like we're going to turn back to sin. But we're wounded and we're broken. And things have happened to us. And the weight is too much for us to carry that burden alone. And so we just slowly see the flock moving on. And we put on a good face because we're really good at putting on a poker face. Especially when you're broken. Brother David sounds like you're speaking from experience. I am. Believe me. And I have a feeling that most of us at some point or another have felt that way. You know, as I was researching this topic and looking at the brokenness that even a Christian can feel, the burden of that weight. Uh, it was described kind of like this, and it just made perfect sense. It's not that you feel like you're that sheep that has gone astray, but that sheep you still feel like the one and the 99. Like you're in this massive building, a banquet hall, and the whole flock was there, and they're all gathered together, and they're, they're celebrating, they're, they're breaking bread together, they're eating, they're rejoicing, uh, and you are there. Now this big banquet hall has a big window looking outside. We put on such a good face and we pretended that we're okay, that we're not broken, that we're not hurting. Burdens of life haven't burdened us down and so everybody else sees us as being in there with them. But in reality, in our heart, the way we perceive ourselves, we're actually outside. We're looking through the glass at everybody else. We know we're a part of them. We know we're a part of the flock, but we feel like the one looking at the 99. If you've ever felt that broken, if you've ever felt that point in your life when the burdens of life are so heavy, remember back to what Jesus said. 
What did he say about the sheep? He said he would put it on his shoulders, carry that burden, and carry that back to the flock. There's a motto in the military. I think it probably goes back to the Rangers as far as here in the United States. That motto is leave no one behind. And that goes through every branch of the military. They have their own version of that. And throughout all the world wars, through the battles this country has ever been through, every branch of the service has lived up to that motto, leave no one behind. We hear about legendary stories like World War II, Private Doss. We hear about stories like Mogadishu, when what we refer to as Black Hawk Down. Nineteen people died. Why? Because they were trying to make sure that no fallen brother was left behind. And they were willing to give everything for that. Now, if we look at the body, if we look at the flock, which we are very much a part of, that attitude rings out throughout everything Jesus Christ ever said about our relationship with each other. Leave no one behind. Don't let anyone feel like they are so less valued than you that they remain in that broken state. When Jesus gives us the gift of fellowship, and that's, that's what it, this is, not just here in this building, but the relationship that we have together. Now, the military sends in special forces when they want to make sure no one's left behind. They send in the SEAL Team 6. They have a lot at their disposal. Who does God send? Remember, we're looking at the 99 and the 1, whether that's in our mind because we're broken or we actually, that one sheep, He sends the 99. That's us. When we are in that broken state and trying so hard to put on a good front so that others don't see how broken we are, because we may feel embarrassed by that. I know what that feels like. But God placed us in a group as such as this, full of compassion and grace and love, who are willing to be there for each other. Brother Brian used a statement that has such profound meaning in his lesson about time. It's about being present. How do we truly be present with someone for someone? You've got to be there physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If we are broken physically or emotionally, it's going to affect us spiritually. So when we need someone to be there for us, we need them to be present, fully present, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If we seek outside advice from those who are not of the ark of safety, as we would say, um, why does the Bible kind of always steer us towards, as Christians, seeking godly counsel? Now, we all have friends outside of the Christian body. Now, we just do, most of us anyway. As a teenager, I can remember having long conversations with my mom. That Why are you picking my friends? You know, I, I'm quite capable of picking my own friends. I want to be a light to them. You told me to be a light. I'm going to be a light. Well... What happens? They're going to be there for you in the two ways that they can. And they may love you with all their heart. They may sacrifice their self for you. But if they don't believe in God and in your mortal soul, then how can they be there for you? They can be there for you physically, which they will, and emotionally, which they will, if they love you that much. But they can't be there for you spiritually. And so any advice, whether asked for or not, 
can lead us further astray from the flock, and we truly will become the one in the 99. We don't want that. God tells us seek out godly counsel for a reason. Don't hate your friends that aren't Christians. Seek to be a light for them. Let them see what that means to be a Christian. But in those times when we are truly broken, we've got to be very, very careful to seek out the right kind of advice, even if it's just for someone to listen. Listening is the most imperative gift that God has given to us. When it comes to each other, sometimes all we really need is someone to listen and we realize they actually love us and care for us. It can change everything, even save a life. Life is a pressure cooker. That's a hard reference if you're young and you don't know what a pressure cooker is. You may remember, like I was telling you, Granny telling you, okay, that thing's going in the kitchen. It's got a little rocker thing and it's constantly going. And if you hear that stop, I need you to get out of there because it can't explode. Uh, it's a hard thing for a child to hear that Granny has an explosive device in her kitchen. But that's what happens. Why? Because it's letting off. It's venting pressure. What happens to the human psyche, our emotional part, which we all have, if we don't vent pressure, it builds up, it builds up, and we break. However that is, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we can break, and we can be broken. And God gave us each other to help us in that to carry each other's burden, to lift each other up, to esteem others more than ourselves. If we seek the wrong advice from the wrong people, they can lead us away from the flock, lead us away from God, and break us even more than we already were before. If you don't hear anything else in the lesson this morning, seek out godly counsel. When you are hurt, when you are broken, get someone to listen to you that truly cares about your spiritual side, not just your physical and emotional side, because the damage can be done and destroy your very psyche. I know, I know. Trust me. First Corinthians 12, 26, one of the most beautiful verses about relationships. It's talking about Christ's body about the flock that we're all a part of. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. That's a powerful message. Now, when we are at our very weakest and our lowest point in life, sometimes we see ourselves not only of little value to God and to each other, but no value to God and to each other. That is the most dangerous thing for a Christian. So if that ever reaches you in any point in that way, please, please, please seek godly counsel. Even if it's just someone to listen so you can vent off some of that pressure. I was at a retirement party and I heard somebody say something that was so profound that every jaw dropped. Usually at a retirement party, uh, you're all there to say goodbye and person when they finally get up they give their speech they talk about how things have changed for the company they've been in, how long they've been in the people they love and they're going to miss those are all things you expect to hear and I did at this retirement party great guy been there for over 30 years at this company but the company was going through a lot of changes and the new management weren't exactly listening to the experienced personnel that were there a lot of changes were for just for the sake of change 
So it got to the end of his retirement speech, and all the top brass were there, and they were all listening, and they were smiling, everybody's having a good time, ready to say goodbye. And he said these words, and I won't ever forget it. He said, God made you with two ears and one mouth, and you need to exercise them accordingly. You could have heard a pin drop. Management probably didn't take that the way that he intended it. Now, I, I know the guy. I know the intent of the heart. His intent was to listen to the experience you have. But I'll never forget that. God made you with two ears and one mouth. Sometimes what we need more than anything else, somebody to just be there physically, emotionally, and spiritually when we are broken. When we feel like that sheep that is off in the corner looking at the 99 to just listen and let us know that we are loved and that we are cared for. Sometimes advice is not what we need. Now, I've got a bad habit in situations where I really want to fix things. I think Dana and I were talking about this. This is something a lot of us have. Somebody just needs to have someone to listen and we just want to fix and give advice. Sometimes when we try to minimize someone else's problems and their weights that are weighting them down, they're making them feel broken, which are very real. Uh, if we minimize that, we can have the effect of minimizing the individual. Uh, that's not what Christ ever did. He didn't minimize anybody. Every parable that he spoke on these topics, he made sure that everyone knew they were loved, they were important in his eyes, and they had a place in the kingdom. And there was no place for anyone who felt otherwise. They should be there rejoicing along with everyone else. No one is up here and down here. Together, in love and compassion and sympathy and empathy. That's what we feel for each other. That's why we leave no one behind. No one who's suffering. No one who's broken. God loves us and values each and every one of us. I'm going to leave you with this one thought. And this thought, just like the song that we wrote, read the lyrics to, uh, just gives me such an imperative initiative to do better and to be better. Our value is in how God sees us rather than how we see ourselves. That is so true. Sometimes we see very little value in ourselves, but God does. It was an ultimate price paid. So we must be of great value to him. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Um, I don't know if you realize just how imperative and how important is anyone else here who ever speaks here or anywhere else knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm a card-carrying member to the Introvert Society. That's just me. If you know me, you know that to be true. I'm very uncomfortable being in this position up here speaking. I'm much more comfortable down there. But I'll tell you this. The gift of a good listener is imperative in so many ways, even in the assembly. Now, when I first started speaking as a young man, I asked someone I thought the world about. He's a preacher. How do you keep from getting nervous when you get up there? He said, well, I don't. He said, if I ever don't feel some kind of nerves, I'm going to be afraid that egos already start to take over for heart. So don't worry about feeling some nerves. He said, but you are doing something. I just, I just want to encourage you. You're staring a hole through the back wall. And I did. When I would get up, I'd stare straight at the back wall. 
He said, I want to try So I'll just try this. Just try it. He said, I want you to look around the room. Make some eye contact. Look at the people that are there that love you. He said, you're going to find something very important. You're going to find that the expressions, the smiles, the love that people feel in their heart, it just comes out in how they look when you're talking to them because you're talking with them rather than to them. And it's going to give you comfort. It's going to give you a calming effect. And it's going to give you a peace of mind to know that there's that much grace, that it's more about the message than it is the messenger. And he nailed it. First time I did that, I looked around and I saw those sweet, sweet faces that back and forth as a speaker. And the other speakers know exactly what I'm talking about. There's an energy that gets built up from people whose heart as a listener is there physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I thank you for that because this crowd, this group, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And it just, it just shows from this vantage point. And it shows out there when we're at home and we need each other and we call each other and we text and say, hey, can you pray? Yeah, and then everybody responds back immediately. Sure can, what do you need? That's what love is. That's what building it up in a most holy faith is. Thank God we have that here. And we're so blessed to have it. I just pray and my prayer is that we don't ever take it for granted and generation by generation start to lose that. Because everything that we talked about this morning, we are blessed with here. I thank you so much that you are like that, that you build me up, and that you give me hope. Thank you so much for that. We'll offer the invitation at this time. Is there anyone who would be subject to the gospel call? If there's anyone who does feel broken, who needs the prayers of the church, there's no better time and better group than right now. The power of prayer is so immense. When we feel broken and when we talk to the Lord, He lifts us up on His shoulders. When we add other people to that prayer list who are praying with us and for us, it's even greater. doesn't mean you have to get up right now. doesn't mean it has to be right now, but please take advantage of the prayers of others and ask them for it. If you're in that broken spirit, God doesn't want you to stay that way. You're imperative to Him, you're important to Him, and you are of value to Him. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.